0: Welcome to the podcast at The Hill. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Fear of the Lord, from our series, Different. If you have your Bible, I'm in Psalm 25 today. Psalm 25. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord we feel among us today. Amen? Amen. Psalm 25. I want to talk to you today about another way we're different as the people of God. We're different because we walk in the fear of the Lord. Say, The Fear of the Lord. A phrase that has lost much of its meaning in our day. A phrase we've often lost sight of today. And I want to talk to us today about what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. If you want this kind of atmosphere that you feel this morning in your life, walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Say it again. The fear of the Lord. Psalm 25 verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord today. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Would you read that aloud with me? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant covenant. Would you pray for your pastor this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and bless you. We thank you that you are the strength of our life. You are our stronghold and our rock, our shelter and our fortress to whom we may safely run. We thank you today that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. Lord, we ask you today that you'd anoint me as I preach and you'd bless our hearts as we receive it and we'll thank you for it in Christ's holy name. And everybody said... Amen. Give him one more great hand to praise. Amen. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, it begins by fearing the Lord. The Bible says in Romans when Paul quotes Isaiah, he says one of the chief problems with humans on this planet is this, they do not fear the Lord. He says there is no fear of God before their eyes. And whenever a society ceases to fear the Lord, you can be sure it will not obey the law for very long. The fear of the Lord is what keeps a society in check. There's and this idea of fearing the Lord is not just in the Old Testament. I can hear the protest from some Christians saying, Oh, Pastor, that's Old Testament. We're not supposed to fear the Lord in the New Testament. Really? Well, it's interesting that that's not what the Bible says. The New Testament also urges us to fear the Lord. The Bible says in Luke 7 that when Jesus raised the son of the widow woman at Nain from the dead, the Bible says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen. Among us, when he cast out the demons from the man in Gadara into the swine, and they toppled over the mountainside. Luke seven says, excuse me. Luke eight says, they were seized with great fear. That's what the Bible says. In Luke twelve, Jesus urged us to fear the Lord when he said, "But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after who he has killed has the power to cast in you." has the power to cast into hell, I say to you, fear him. Say, fear him. So Jesus is clear that we are still to fear the Lord even as New Testament Christians. If you flip over to the book of Acts, you'll find that the early church certainly feared the Lord. It was a principle for them. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come and God had poured His Spirit out on His people, the Bible says, Then fear came upon every soul and signs and wonders were done at the hands of the apostles. The Bible says in Acts 5.11 that Ananias and Sapphira lost their fear of God And they lied to the Holy Ghost. And when Peter called them out on their error that the Spirit of the Lord was present and that Ananias and Sapphira fell dead in the Wednesday night prayer meeting because they'd lied to God. And they carried them out and buried them that very hour. And Acts 5.11 says, So great fear came upon all the church and all who heard these things. How many of you know it's okay for the church to fear the Lord? Great fear came on all the church. That's what it says. Amen. Acts 9.31, Luke describes the church in this way. In general, he says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. I want to tell you, a church that will multiply is a church that fears the Lord and has the move of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want the comfort of the Holy Spirit, walk in the fear Fear of the Lord because the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear Him. We read it a moment ago. Paul urges us in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. He says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of God. Say it with me. In the fear of God. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and what? Godly fear. How many of you know New Testament Christians are supposed to fear the Lord? 1 Peter. Peter says it too. 1 Peter 1.17. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct." yourselves throughout the time of your stay, where? In fear. Fear the Lord, the Bible says. What do you mean by fear of the Lord, pastor? Let's talk about that today. The fear of the Lord means three things, and I want you to understand them before you leave today. We're not talking about the kind of fear that would make you back away in terror and not want anything to do with God. We're not talking about the kind of fear that would make you think God is wicked or that his purposes towards you are not good, that he is not loving or kind. That is not what we mean by the fear of the Lord. Let's unpack what we do mean by the fear of the Lord then. Dr. Tony Evans says the fear of the Lord is a two-sided coin. One side has to do with awe and reverence. The other side has to do with being dreaded. It is similar to the dual role that parents have with their children. They want to be respected all the time. And once in a while, when their children aren't doing right, they want to be dreaded. How many of you ever dreaded when your daddy walked in the room? Some of you never heard brown leather sliding through seven belt loops, or you'd know what the fear of your daddy was. Yes, sir. Amen. Some of us lost the fear of the Lord when we lost the fear of our daddy. Daddy, step up. If you don't take care of it at home, they won't fear the Lord. They won't fear the law either but the law won't be as kind as you are. Amen. Do your job. It starts at home. Not only do we wish for our children to respect us, but we want them to know that improper behavior could invoke discipline and the wrath of their mama and daddy. Amen. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Number one, it means to revere his presence. Say that with me. To revere his presence. And if there is a quality that I fear is lost from much of the church in America today, it is the quality of reverence. A lack of reverence. Just the sense that there's something holy in gathering together. That this room is not like any other room. That this gathering is not like any gathering in the world. It is more solemn than the meeting of the Supreme Court. It is more important than appearing before the King of England or the Queen of England. It is more regal and royal than any event you will ever attend this side of heaven. Coming into the house of God and sitting in the presence of the Lord. Hear me, to revere God's presence doesn't mean that we don't want to be in his presence. It means just the opposite. We desire to be in his presence. We are honored that we have been invited and chosen to be in the presence of God. What an honor it is that the king of all the universe would invite the likes of you and me to come into his very presence, to have access to his very throne. Who would not want to take God up on his invitation? He is so gracious and kind to us. The king of all the universe has opened his courts to peasants like you and me. He's offered us a place at his table. We long to be in his presence. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean we dread his presence and want to avoid it. We want to draw near, but one of the essential qualities to being invited near is reverence. Say reverence. Too many people today have viewed God as their good buddy, their coffee-drinking pal, one with whom they can glad hand and high-five, and they lose sight of the holiness and the otherness of God. When Moses met God out in the Sinai wilderness at the burning bush, the Bible says that Moses was afraid at the encounter. Exodus 3, verses 5 and 6, Then God said, Do not draw near this place. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Friend, that's the fear of the Lord. The reality that he had encountered that this bush wasn't like any other bush... Lots of bushes burned in the wilderness. They would get hot and spontaneously combust in the desert heat. Moses had seen a bush burn in the wilderness before. Lightning would strike and start a brush fire. He had seen all that. He'd been there for 40 years. And yet this bush burned, but it wasn't consumed. And a voice called to him from the bush. And he knew something was different. I want to tell you, there's something special when we come. And we know that we are in the presence of God. When you come into God's house and you sense it and you feel it, it's different. There's something in the atmosphere. There's a presence in the room that is not just the sum total of our humanity or even our excitement or exuberance in worship. There's something you feel and you sense when you come into a Spirit-filled church that you know God is in the house. It isn't just that His people showed up. He has shown up unseen but very present and felt in the room. And we should revere His presence when Aaron's two sons, the high priest's two sons, lost their reverence for God, they lost their lives very shortly thereafter. God had given instructions for how they were to worship Him, and they ignored those instructions, and they brought strange fire, unauthorized fire. They didn't bring the fire from the altar inside to burn. No, they brought ordinary fire, fire that God had not commanded, and they put it to the altar of incense, and when they did, the Bible says that Nadab And Abihu, when they took the censer and put fire in it, they offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And listen to God's explanation. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke: by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. And yet, We often lose the atmosphere of reverence in a New Testament church where we come in so flippantly and haphazardly and we forget that we're in the very presence of God when the service begins. Oh, that we would regain at least a little of the lost reverence that we once had for the house of God and the presence of God. Sometimes I look around the sanctuary, even of a holiness church like this, and I'm amazed at a lack of reverence among some of us. Can I be honest today? Folks who will hang out in the foyer long after they have no good reason to be in the foyer. If you have an assignment, be in the foyer. If you don't have an assignment, then be in your seat when the service begins. Why? Because that's reverence and that honors the presence of the Lord. If, if, if the president were speaking, you'd be in your seat. The Lord of all glory has come, so be in your place. Oh, pastor. Don't oh, pastor, me. That's reverence. Reverence. I'm telling you, we're different. This is something lost that needs to be regained, and I won't apologize for preaching it. Reverence. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You want God to be your friend, then reverence his presence. Walk in the fear and the respect of him and his presence. Those who crack jokes and talk with their neighbor when they should be singing to the Lord, well, I don't like these songs. Well, they're not for you, this isn't your party. The choir didn't rehearse all week to entertain you. The choir rehearsed all week to host the presence of God in this room. Amen. We hope you enjoyed it, but really that wasn't our goal, and that's not the measuring stick that we use. The question is, did God enjoy it? We prepared the meal for Him. We often forget because of our, the way our space is set up, we forget who we are. Listen to me today. You are not an audience You are a congregation... This is not a stage. It is a platform, and there is a difference. Because, you see, there's only one audience here today, and the audience is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And you and I are the people who've come to honor and worship him, and the people on the platform are here to prompt us and lead us and help us in making sure that our audience, the Lord Jesus, has been honored and glorified and praised and exalted in this room. And if we will do that, he will show up and bless us as His people. Amen. So remember who you are. You are not a consumer who walked in today to judge whether the service was to your liking or not. Amen. Some of you need to quit rotating and spinning from church to church looking for one that suits you. They're all about the same. Just land in one. Amen. Amen. Just plug in somewhere, get still, and you'll do more good getting still in one that's imperfect than you will to keep looking for the perfect one, amen? Plug in and worship the Lord, serve the Lord. Hear me today. Mm, We're here to host His presence, people who scroll on Facebook during the message. Mm. If it was just me speaking, that would be different. You would have every right to scroll on Facebook, but I'm not here for my own purposes. I don't stand up here and speak on my own authority. I'm here as the messenger from heaven. I'm a man on divine assignment and I will give an account for every idle word that I share from this pulpit in the day of judgment. I'm a herald who's here to declare the very word of God. I'll be honest with you, oftentimes the moving around in the altar is problematic. It's quiet in the holiness church, isn't it? Mm. I know there are times you have to slip out. I understand that. I know some people have health reasons, and if you have a health reason, you have the forgiveness and the blessing of your pastor to do what you need to do. I'm just glad you're here in spite of your health reason, and I'm thankful that you still make the effort to come. I'm not talking to you today. I'm talking about the able-bodied people my age and younger who have a bladder the size of a walnut who have to get up three times during the service. I don't believe you. You need some medicine or you need to be in this prayer line. Amen. If you can sit through a 50-minute class at school, you can sit through service. If you can sit through a three-hour ball game on the weekend, you can certainly sit through my sermon. Amen. Reverence the presence of the Lord. And of all times in the altar, I understand some of us have to slip out, but I want to tell you, some of us, whenever I ask us to stand for the closing prayer, it's like a mad sprint for the door. I don't know if you think the Baptists are going to get all the white meat off the buffet bar what the deal is. They'll cook more. There's no shortage of chickens. My father-in-law grows them every day. He'll make sure there's plenty of chicken. You're not going to miss out. But what you'll miss out on is what God does at the close of this service because that's when people are saved and healed and delivered and filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll miss out on the good thing. Some of us rush out we end up like Martha. Mary has the good place down here and we're running out, handling, worried about many things when one thing is needful and that is, God, what do you want to say and do in my life today? Carve out that time for the Lord. Reverence the Lord. Reverence His presence. Even if you don't fear the Lord, listen, respect your neighbor enough not to be a distraction to them. They may be under conviction. God may be doing something in their life. You would hate to be used of the enemy to interfere with that, wouldn't you? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Number two, listen, fear of the Lord means to revere His presence. Number two, it means to respect holy things. If I haven't come down your row yet, I'll be there in a second. To respect holy things. Not only is God holy, but there are certain things that are connected to God that are holy by extension. Not only was God holy, but His tabernacle was holy. His priests were holy. Every pot in the temple was holy. It belonged to God. And it was because it was connected to Him, it was to be reverenced and treated differently than anything else. In the Old Testament, the greatest example of this, we find, is the Ark of the Covenant. Say the Ark. Some of you remember the Ark from Sunday school. Some of you remember the Ark from the Indiana Jones movie. It's the same one. Now, if you're new to church, I'm not talking about Noah and the Ark. That's a very big box with a lot of animals in it. I'm talking about a very small box, about the size of this communion table, that God told them to build in order to worship him. And it was made from acacia wood, and it was overlaid with gold, and it had cherubim on each end that covered their faces and faced the glory of God, which rested invisibly on the top. And inside, there was Aaron's rod that bloomed, and there was a pot of manna, and there were the original tablets of the Ten Commandments resting inside. It was called the Ark of the Testament. Or the Ark of the Covenant. And it was associated with God. You couldn't touch it. It had gold rings on the side, and you slid poles down through the side. And only the priests could pick it up and buy the poles, and they were not allowed to touch it. And they would carry it from place to place. You didn't put it on a cart, you didn't put it on wheels. Men who had been consecrated and set apart had to bear the presence of God. It is still that way today. You can't mechanize the anointing. It takes men and women who were sold out to God to bear His presence today. The symbolism was rich. But when they lost their respect, when they lost their reverence for holy things, it cost them greatly. The Bible says that they tried to use the ark as a good luck charm in 1 Samuel. And God took the ark away from them and showed them it was not a good luck charm. The Bible says when the ark went to the house of Dagon, the the Philistine god, and they set it in front of Dagon as if it was worshiping an idol, they came back the next day and God had flipped Dagon over on his face and they propped him up again. I wouldn't have a god I had to prop up. I need God to prop me up. Amen? Amen. And they propped him up and they came back the next day and it happened again. And the third time they came in and Dagon's head and his arms were broken off. And God said, prop him up now. They put the ark on a cart and sent it out of town and said, we don't know what this box is, but we don't want any part of it. They learned to fear the Lord. Say, fear the Lord. When the ark got back to Israel, they knew they weren't supposed to touch it. They were educated. They knew what it was and they knew the rules around it. And they got to wondering, well, I wonder if they messed with anything on the inside of it. And so they opened the lid on it. And when they did, God struck the lot of them dead in his presence. They needed to learn to fear the Lord. Years later, when David tried to take the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, he disobeyed the Lord's commands and put it on an ox cart, and it stumbled and hit a pothole, and a man named Uzzah reached out to grab the box and keep it from sliding off the cart. Now that sounded like a respectful thing to do. Well, God didn't think so because he struck Uzzah and he died there that day. But Uzzah was just trying to help. Listen to me. God doesn't need you to try to help. God doesn't need you to figure it out. God doesn't need you to make up your own rules. God doesn't need you to get smart and decide what you'll do and won't do. God needs you to obey the book. God told us how we are to treat his presence, and he insists on being treated as holy. Holy. It wasn't supposed to have been on a cart. The Bible says that they came back and they put it on the priest's shoulders and they carried it in and it says they took six steps and they stopped and sat it down and offered sacrifice and said, thank you God that we are not dead. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Fear the Lord today. Say, fear the Lord. To respect holy things. There are some holy things we still ought to respect today. Number one, the Lord's name is holy. Say His name. We ought to respect the name of the Lord. We live in a day where the third commandment has fallen on hard times. You will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The name of God in the Old Testament was so holy, the Hebrews would not, they would write it, but they would not speak it. Whenever they saw YHWH, whenever they saw the holy name of Yahweh, they would not utter it. They would see the name and they would go Adonai, which meant Lord. They wouldn't even speak his name. It was so holy and they didn't want to disgrace or dishonor his name. Third commandment says don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It bothers me how flippantly we use his name. How the name of Jesus is often a swear word by some today. It bothers me even more how many of us who are marked in baptism with that name go and live as though we did not belong to him at all. Don't disgrace that holy, lovely name by which we are saved. His name is holy. Say his name. Angels cry his name in adoration. The saints shout his name in victory. The sinner calls on his name and is saved. The devil hears his name and trembles all the way to the lower parts of the earth. There is power and deliverance and victory in that holy, sweet name of Jesus. His name is holy. Number two, his spirit is holy. Say, his spirit... It is a sweet thing and a holy thing when the presence of God moves among us in power and sweetness. You can feel His presence. Sometimes we weep. Sometimes we shout. Sometimes people fall to the ground under the glory of His presence. Sometimes God speaks to us through the gifts, tongues and interpretation, a prophetic word. Sometimes God gives the minister a word of knowledge for you in the altar and He speaks specifically to what you may be going through. Those are holy moments. And we should reverence that. Well, pastor, that stuff makes me uncomfortable. Good. It's supposed to. Did you think you would be comfortable if the God of all the universe walked into this room this morning? Did you think there wouldn't be something a little awkward about that for you? Isaiah saw him and fell on his face and said, Woe is me, I am undone. If we realized where we really were and who was in this room, they'd have to tie us to the pew. Fear the Lord. Hear me. It is a reverent and holy thing for God to move among us in the gifts. And we ought to reverence His presence. And we ought to treat the moving of the Spirit of God as holy. You need to be made uncomfortable. You need to be reminded that God is real and that He's in this room. And you need to be reminded that God is bigger than the box you try to keep Him in Monday through Friday. And that He's not a tame lion. That you can break out whenever you want to. No, he is the God of all the world. He is the God of all the universe. Our God is a consuming fire, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the writer of Hebrews said. Say, fear the Lord. Lord. A third thing that is holy is the Lord's day is holy. Say the the Lord's day. The Lord's day is holy. Today is the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. I thought Saturday was. It got changed to Sunday in the New Testament. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. God sent the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 on a Sunday. And the early church met regularly on Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day. Paul said, whenever you come together on the Lord's Day, bring an offering. He knew that they would be gathering on Sunday. John said in Revelation 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Amen? Well, I believe it's Saturday. Well, you're wrong. It's Sunday. You're entitled to be wrong if you want to, but that's up to you. But the Bible says today is the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's been the tradition of the church for 2,000 years to worship on the Lord's Day. The Bible says in the fourth commandment is remember this day and keep it holy. Christians applied that to the Lord's Day. I understand some of us are required to work and that the schedule is often beyond our control. And I know the Lord gives grace for that, and we try our best to make allowance for that. We try our best to find other times and places when we may worship the Lord. I understand that. I would urge you, find another time. Come on Wednesday night if you can. Join a Sunday night growth group, even if you can't attend a morning service because you're providentially hindered. But that is those are things that we may not be able to control. There are people who can't come because of health reasons. They're homebound or shut in. The Lord understands that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how little it takes many people to miss the house of God on a Sunday morning. And it seems like the further we go in life's road, the easier and easier it is for people to neglect the Lord's day. If you dishonor the Lord's day, you've dishonored the Lord. Hmm. You're quiet. I'll preach there a minute. Mm. I'm thankful for the live stream, for those who cannot come, but I fear for some people the live stream makes them lazy and think, well, I can just lay out of church this morning. I'll just watch it on live stream. It's not the same. It's better than nothing, but it's not the same as being in the Lord's house. Amen. You can make the effort and get up. Jesus rose from the dead. You can get out of the bed. Amen. Amen. You can come to the Lord's house. If it wouldn't keep you from work, why does it keep you from church? If you'd brave the weather for a ball game or a hunting trip, you can brave the weather to come to the Lord's house. You probably don't want to know how I feel about kids' sporting events that compete with the Lord's house on Sundays and Wednesday nights. If believing parents would stick together and stand their ground and say, no, we're not doing it, the teams would have to change their schedule because there's more of us than there are them. And if they're not, here's a news flash for you. Why doesn't some Christian parents start their own league that plays on Friday night and all day on Saturday and they don't play on the Lord's Day and they don't practice on Wednesday night? There's enough market for that in Mobile, Alabama that you'd soon outgrow the other guys. Amen. Do it because you reverence the Lord, because you honor and respect His holy day. Amen. Instead, the world grows bolder and we grow even more timid. Even if not, their time in God's house is more important. It's a matter of priority. But pastor, I've got to teach them commitment. Oh, commitment is precisely the issue I'm addressing this morning. Commitment is exactly what you ought to teach them. But commitment means teaching them priorities. And that some things are more important than other things. And that there are greater things and there are lesser things. And God's house is a greater thing than the lesser thing of being at a ball game. You can look at me like a calf at a new gate. I'm grown. I'm grown. I had my breakfast and I didn't cash my check for this week. I'm going to preach the truth today. Do you hear me? We ought to reverence God enough to respect his day and at least be in his house when the doors are open unless we are providentially hindered. And that does not mean bowing down and take, letting God's house take second place to every activity that somebody rolls out for you. Well, somebody invited me to 12.30 lunch. Tell them you can be there at 1.30. Glory to God. Well, there's a ball game. Well, we'll play on Friday and Saturday, and we won't be there Sunday. Why? Because we fear the Lord. You should fear the Lord. Amen. Well, commitment. Oh, we are committed. We're committed to God and we're committed to His house. We have our commitments. We had our commitment before we joined this team and we'll have our commitment when we're not on this team anymore because we're on another team. I'm on the battlefield for the Lord. I'm in the army of God and I promised Him I'd serve Him till I die. I signed up a long time ago and He said to be in His house on His day and that's where I'm going to be unless I'm too sick to be there. Glory to God. But Pastor... Don't butt pastor me. I want them to learn commitment to their team. The church is a team. Teach them commitment to the house of God. Pastor, what about scholarships? Well, I've seen some of them play and there's no danger of that. <laughs> you better keep Johnny's grades up is all I got to tell you. And even if it is an opportunity and a possibility, let me say this to you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things you need financially will be added to you as well. Oh, pastor, this is the real world. Let me tell you about the real world. In 1923, in the real world where you think you live as if God isn't real, Eric Liddell set a British, world, British record running the 100-yard race in 9.7 seconds and qualified for the upcoming Summer Olympics in Paris, France. When he learned that he was scheduled to run the opening heat on a Sunday, he withdrew his name. And instead, he qualified barely for the 400-meter race and decided to run it instead. On the morning of the race, someone handed him a slip of paper that read, in the old book it says, He that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. Eric Liddell stuck that piece of paper in the pocket of his running shorts, and that day he ran neck and neck with the toughest American competitor on the track. He beat him and took home the gold medal, and not only did he win, he set a new Olympic and world record with 47.6 seconds, a record that stood for many years thereafter. Honor me, and I will honor you, says the Lord. Hear me today. Honor the Lord in this house. Many years ago, we had the wrong belief that the earth went around, that the sun went around the earth. Now we know that that is an error. The earth goes around the sun. Many of us have the same problem in our spiritual lives. We believe that God revolves around us. We are the center of the story. We are the main character. It's all about us. It's all about God loving me and God blessing me and God being there for me and me getting out of God what I need to get through my life. God bless my plan. God bless my agenda. God bless what I've got to do. God bless my team at the ballgame. God could not care less whether your team wins that ballgame or not. Pray about something that matters. Amen. If you're having trouble, hire a new coach. Amen. Don't ask God to bless that team. He's not interested in that. He's got bigger fish to fry. Lord, help us. What happens to us? We need to honor the Lord by being in His house on His day. Lord, help me. The earth revolves around the sun, and your life revolves around God, not the other way around. God's the center, and we revolve around him. And one of the ways we demonstrate that is we treat holy things like they're holy. God's name is holy, God's gifts are holy, and God's day is holy. Amen. Growth groups start at six o'clock. Yeah. See you there. It meets on the Lord's day. Amen. Hmm. All of our excuse-making scares me, church. We all have an excuse for why we won't or can't be at some function on the Lord's Day. It used to be Christians reserved this day all day long. And yes, they met with their family, and yes, they rested, and yes, they did some leisure and fun activities to refresh themselves and find strength and relaxation from the crazy week they'd had and the crazy one they were sailing into. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not a Puritan who believes you shouldn't read comic books on Sunday or have any fun. I didn't say that. But I'm saying when something is scheduled at the Lord's house, you ought to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Oh, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, that's funny because the New Testament says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I'm afraid that our excuse making indicates something wrong in our attitude toward God. A lack of fear of the Lord. A lack of reverence. It doesn't matter. It's not important. We don't fear the Lord anymore. We don't think of disappointing Him. We don't consider whether our decision with what we will do with our time or not matters to God, how He will feel about what we do. Hear me today. Pastor, you don't understand. Well, pastor's not the one you've got to convince. You won't stand before pastor on the last day. You'll stand before the Lord. And my obligation is to try to have you as ready for that day as I possibly can. Pastor, nobody's going to get saved when you preach like this. I'm like Dr. E.V. Hill. Somebody gets saved every time I preach. I do. I do. Because I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to review this sermon and say, well, you told the truth whether they did it or not. That's right. I'm going to save myself, Randy. I'm going to tell the truth because I'm going to rescue my soul before the judgment seat. Amen. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to preach the truth. From now on, when someone gives me an excuse for missing church, I'm just going to smile and say, well, I hope the Lord feels the same way you do about that at the judgment seat. Good luck with that. That's going to become my standard answer. Good luck with that. That's between you and the Lord. I've told you the truth. Told you the truth. To fear the Lord means to revere His presence. It means to treat holy things with respect. And number three, and finally, before you try to go beat the Baptist to the chicken dinner, it means to remember His commands. Say, remember His commands. Ultimately, at the end of the day, listen to me. This is the most important thing I'll say all day. At the end of the day, the fear of the Lord is not ultimately an emotion or even just an attitude. At the end of the day, the fear of the Lord is a way of behaving. Say that with me. The fear of the Lord is a way of behaving. You know you feared your daddy when you would not do what he told you not to do. You know you feared your father when if he gave you an order, you acted on that order or you knew there would be consequences. That is the healthy, reverent fear that a child should have for a parent. And it is the healthy fear that a Christian should have for the Lord Jesus. It affects the way I behave. It affects the way I make my decisions. It affects what I will allow to flow through my mind and flow out of my mouth. It affects what I will do and what I will not do. Where I will go and where I won't go. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8.13 said, is to hate evil. Job feared God and eschewed evil. If you fear God, you'll shun the evil. To fear the Lord is an approach to life that holds Him in such high regard, we make all of our decisions in light of who He is and what He commands. Let me explain it to you like this. If you were to get out here today on Highway 98 going into Mississippi and you were to be clocking around 80 miles an hour and all of a sudden you saw a policeman sitting in the median, what would happen to you in that moment? i tell you what would happen to you in that moment. Your heart would start to beat fast. Your palms would sweat gripping the wheel. Your eyes would get as big as saucers. Your foot would come off the gas and your eyes would go down to the speedometer. And you wouldn't slam on the brakes. You would let off the gas and you would hope to God that it would slow down before you got too close to him. And then when you went past him at well below the speed limit, your eyes would go from the speedometer to your rear view mirror and you would almost run off the road trying to see if he was lighting your world up in that back glass or not. The presence of the police officer reminded you that you should respect the law. And I want to tell you today that the fear of the Lord means we live our lives in such a way that we always understand that the police officer is always in the median. The principal is always in the hallway. Your father is always standing in the room. There is not a thought or a word or a deed that you will perform that is not done in the immediate presence of God. Amen. The word presence in the Old Testament is the word lifne. It means face. Everything we do, we do it before the face of God. And if we believed that and we lived like that, it would change a lot of what we did and did not do. The fear of the Lord is like the policeman on the corner The fear of the Lord caused Joseph to run out of his coat to avoid sinning with Potiphar's wife. The fear of the Lord caused the Hebrew midwives to disregard Pharaoh's command to throw the babies into the Nile River and let them live. The fear of the Lord caused the three Hebrew children to refuse to bow down to the idol. The fear of the Lord kept Daniel on his knees when the law said he could not pray. And the fear of the Lord brings the friendship of the Lord. And whenever we fear the Lord, God will show himself to be our friend. And God's friendship Raised Joseph from the pit and the prison to the palace, and God's friendship gave those midwives children of their own because they feared the Lord. When the three Hebrew boys were cast into the fire, their friend walked into the furnace with them. And when Daniel went into the lion's den, God walked in behind him and locked the mouths of the lions. Do you want God for your friend? Then fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no lack to those who fear Him. Hear the blessings of the Lord today. Deuteronomy 10 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments which I command you this day for your good Psalm 33 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. I want God's eye on my life. I want Him to be noticing the details of my life. I want God to be looking down and keeping watch over my life. God will watch over your life if you'll fear the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Do you want God to be your deliverer? Then fear the Lord, and He'll assign His angels to you. Do you want the Lord to be merciful to you and have pity on you? The Bible says, in Psalm 103 as a father pities his children so the Lord pities those who what? Fear Him if we fear the Lord because the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. Do you want God to not only bless you but bless your children and bless your grandchildren? Do you want the kind of relationship with God where God doesn't just look out for you but God keeps your grandbabies from running off the road in the middle of the night? Why? Because you fear the Lord and His mercy comes down your family line. Some of you are alive today because grandma feared the Lord, and God watched out for you because he loved her. Fear the Lord. There's blessing in fearing the Lord. Psalm 115, you who fear the Lord, trust in him. He is their help and their shield. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Psalm 147 says He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Do you want God to be happy with you? Then fear the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Hear me, it'll make your life longer. But the years of the wicked will be cut short. Psalm 128, verse 1 to 4, and I'm closing. Come on, Chad, and help me. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Listen to these blessings. Who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who what? Who fears the Lord. Stand with me all over God's house today. Fear The Lord, O you saints of His. There is no lack to those who fear Him. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear Him. I grew up with my grandmother singing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I didn't learn it in church. I learned it on her knee. It was her favorite hymn, and she sang it often. And I learned the words. And I thought about that old song this week, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The question today is, what kind of friend does Jesus have in us? Jesus said in John 15 and 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The fear of the Lord is to remember God's commands. The fear of the Lord is a way of behaving. Do you fear the Lord? If you'll fear the Lord, Jesus will be a friend to you. And oh, what great benefits can God bring to his friends. You've never had a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. You've never had a friend that can do for you what God will do for you. The old hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, one of mine and Chad's favorite hymns, has this line that says, Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with His love He befriend thee. Can you imagine what would happen in your life if God waded in on your side of the fight? God says, I'll do it if you'll fear me. If you'll fear me. If you'll reverence my presence. If you will respect my name and my day and my moving among my people, and if you'll remember my commands and live your life in a way like I'm present and in the room and my, what I say and, and feel matters, then I will bless your life. Lord, help me today. Like Abraham, I want to be called a friend of God. Like Moses, I want God to speak with me face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But I must reverence his presence, respect holy things, his name, his day, his move, Now, I must remember his commands. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian today. I'm reminded of the words of John Newton when he penned the second verse of Amazing Grace. He said, Tis grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. And grace my fears relieved. If you're not a Christian today, the first place you need to begin is this you need to become aware of the fact that your sin has separated you from God. And your sin bears the righteous and just condemnation of the holy judge of all the earth. And if you die in your sins, God in His righteousness and holiness will have no option but to sentence you to be banished from His presence forever. And that is what Christians call hell. But the good news of the gospel is this, that God loved you so much, He was not willing to leave you to that sentence without an opportunity to avoid it. And he sent his son who lived the sinless life and took the test you could not pass and wrote your name by his passing grade. He nailed your sin to his cross. He died and buried your criminal record. And he rose from the dead and said, if you will repent of your sin, ask me to forgive you, believe that my blood was enough and invite me into your life to be the leader and master of your heart, I will make you one of my own children. That's the gospel today. Fear the Lord. Feel your separation today. And do something about it. Believe the gospel. Trust Jesus. Do what Gabriel publicly did today. Say, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of sin and be my Savior. And then I'm going to publicly declare it by being buried with the one who died for my sins. And I'm going to rise to live new life. Maybe you're here today. Look to the cross. See, this same God loved you so much to send his son to rescue you. Ask Him to forgive you and set you free. Christian, for some of us, it's time to step up our game. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. We're the ones who ought to fear the Lord the most. Not the sinner, the saint. Not because we dread Him and are terrified and don't want to be in His presence, but because we love Him and we are blown away and amazed. I want to tell you something. It is not the judgment seat of Christ that makes me fear the Lord the most. It is the cross and the empty tomb that make me fear the Lord the most because I cannot begin to get my head or my heart around a love that is so great that God would bankrupt heaven for a wretch like me and He would send His Son to bleed and die on a cross for my sins. And when all I deserved was hell and separation, He would not let me go there. But His overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love reached out to save me. And it is at the cross that my heart is dissolved in reverence and awe and respect and honor. Christians ought to fear the Lord because they know the high price of their own redemption. Do you fear the Lord today? Do you reverence and honor and respect Him today? I hope you do. If you don't know the Lord today, I urge you to come and trust Him today. Don't get complacent in your sins. Don't get casual with holy things. Don't get comfortable in His holy presence. You'll lose the blessings of His friendship. Fear the Lord, O you saints of His. Every head bowed. Father, in Jesus' name, as we hasten on for the hours upon us, I pray today if there's one in this house who is not right with God, maybe it's a non-believer, someone who's never trusted Christ, I pray that today they would feel their separation from God that their sin has caused. And I pray that they would see the cross and they would trust Jesus as Savior. Lord, I pray for the Christian in the room today who in some way or the other has been dishonoring the Lord by their lifestyle, their way of behaving. I pray that today the fear of the Lord would grip them and they would understand that you are no one to be played with. Your holiness is not something we can toy with. Lord, may you restore to us reverence and respect and remembrance of your commands. May we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. If you need to come pray, If you need to trust Jesus as Savior, if you need to repent of some sin as a believer, get your heart right with God. We're going to sing the hymn to the Lord. And you come and pray while we do. And after that, we'll close. I'm not going to tarry and linger. But if you need to come today, don't miss your moment to trust Jesus and get things right between you and God. Now's the moment. Come quickly. Come quickly. He loves you. He will save you if you will trust Him today. Come and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast at the Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play store.